0: I'm Kerry Stanley and I'm Kate Radford and welcome to Timeless, a podcast made by us, two hair and makeup artists on the fabulous side of 50 with almost 30 years
1: experience each in the business. We are here to have open and honest conversations about ageing and what it looks like to us in our world and in our profession. And what a topic we have today skin care <laughs> <laughs>
0: what does your bathroom cabinet look like
1: oh well i had a massive clean out during covid uh, i don't know about you but perks of the job in being in our in our industry is that we do get sent bits and pieces from different companies to to test and to try and uh, and sometimes after jobs you get to take products home. Um, so i have I have bits and pieces of all sorts of stuff but I am trying to, Streamline my approach. Uh, we'll be talking today to an amazing industry expert. And I think that comes at a very, very good time because at this stage of life, the stage that we're going through now, <laughs> um, I, I feel like I need to be a little more directed in my skincare approach. How about you, Miss mm. Kerry?
0: Yeah, look, you know, I, I think for the last several years I've finally allowed myself to treat myself to decent skincare. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's all expensive skincare. Yes, yes. Because Lordy knows we've all been suckered into the the regimes of brands over the years. Especially I know when I was in my twenty maybe twenties or thirties, it's like you had to do this and you bought everything from the one company. Yes. and then many things were left unused. Wasted money. We've all done that. Yep. So now it's like what you were saying about streamlining. Okay, I am educating myself or being educated and finding out what works best for myself now that I am on the barrel side of 50 and knowing what works and also having now the money to to treat myself. I've done the years of yes. raising two kids of my own. So to me, it was never, yep. oh, I could yep. spend. Two hundred fifty dollars on a vitamin C, yes. Which uh, that was that was unheard of. It yes. was and it was to me. It was always a uh, It was a, that'll do. Whatever that'll
1: do. I remember. Oh, I don't know if it was yearly. I doubt it was probably six monthly because I don't think my mum would have had the excess cash to splurge on that sort of stuff. But I do remember. You know, I'd get home from school and she would have the latest. Gift with purchase from Longcom or from YSL or something. And she would have splurged. And I do remember, and she must have been in her mid forties, where she stepped up her skincare game, and the creams there was there was more products, and the creams were thicker and um, more certainly more luxurious. And I'm and I'm assuming, although I don't really remember talking about it with her at the time, that that was probably her experiencing those changes um, with her skin and feeling like she needed a little bit more, a little bit more help, but also a little bit more mm. luxury as well yeah
0: see my my mom is the opposite because she's always had sensitivities uh, so even to this date her you know her cleanser is an aqueous solution it works for yep. her she's got amazing skin and for someone who's 77 yep. looks looks fabulous but yeah try anything with perfume in it anything that you know has kind of it's, you would never get an active ingredient near her. Yeah, I know oh, no, she'd
1: probably be terrified to use it, let alone <laughs> <laughs> what
0: it might <laughs> actually do. But it works for her. So it's like the good old sorbelline
1: cream. Yeah, <laughs> well, or the Pond's cold cream. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Remember that. The ponds. The ponds. I know I I actually know somebody who still uses that and she has magnificent skin. Do
0: you think genetics has something to do with that too? I
1: I would think <laughs> so. I would think so. Most definitely. Most definitely. Kerry, what other what other things do you do with your skin for myself? For my, for for my yeah, as I
0: was saying a little bit earlier, I did get advice as to what to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sought out an ex, another expert in the field, Dr. Michelle Squire from Curate, mm-hmm. um, to get a skincare program. So it's to me, it's all about the serums. Yes, I'm a sucker for a serum. Yes. but also learning what what ingredients uh, are essential, like that. Love a hyaluronic acid. Oh, yeah. yum. Yep. But boy, it's really confusing out there with the amount of products that are available, though, isn't it? Because yep. you could go, oh, I want a hyaluronic acid. And you can get something from like the ordinary, which we've spoken about earlier, which is $12. Amazing. And then you can get something from another brand, which is $250. And you go, oh, what's the difference? What's the difference? Absolutely. Oh, what's the difference? Yeah. And sometimes there's not a lot of difference. Mm. And now working, I do use an active ingredient now in the evening, it's prescriptive based for myself.
1: Yep,
0: and you know, I've been very lucky with my skin considering I did grow up in Queensland, specifically North Queensland, was it always in the sun? My mum was a sun bunny, yeah, so we were always in the pool, Mm. doesn't that sound Queensland right there? I love my Queenslanders, and so yeah, always getting burnt, (laughs) yeah, so. Now, definitely the decolletage needs a little bit of something, something. Mm -hmm. and But also growing as a teenager, I had terrible cystic acne. Oh, wow. Which you wouldn't think so as I'm older because I squeezed the bridges out of it. Did you
1: go down the Roacatane Road? It was something similar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it worked for a while. uh, And then as soon as I stopped, it came back again. And it was just something I had to grow out of. So I think by the time I was 21, I grew out of it. Yep thankfully but i never being terribly embarrassed by statement. yeah
1: i um i i went through an acne phase post second baby so oh, in yes. my 30s um which which was a rude shock for me because i had been very fortunate to not really have too many concerns in my teens um and you know going through puberty um but to have those Big, uncomfortable welts around the jawline and sort of onto my onto my neck, purely hormonal. Um, and that was actually when I seriously started seeing a dermatologist for those sorts of things and sought sought treatment there. And that was really, really confronting. And I'm finding now. In these menopausal times, that the same thing, you know, I've got I've gone through another ten years of, you know, clear, clear skin and managing just little random breakouts. But now, yeah, I mean, pimples at fifty—that's that keeps you keeps you young, mm. keeps you, <laughs> But it's um, you just, know it makes you feel alive. Oh my <laughs> god, it's uh, yeah, it's full on. But something else that I have um, jumped on board that I am a big, big fan of. Um, i very, very fortunate that my brother is a doctor of Chinese medicine and I have acupuncture facials. Hmm. But that's something that I have really, really enjoyed and have seen quite good benefits from as well. That sounds great.
0: You know, I, I think with regards to talking with aging as what this podcast is all about too and what it's meaning to us, you know, we're seeing these changes. You and I've spoken about this where all of a sudden it feels like it's kind of instant like I like in my four, early 40s that's when I started experimenting I guess with Botox mm-hmm. and you know I used to do it a lot and then I went there oh wow yes I'll have to have to put up a, a photograph <laughs> on the <laughs> socials to show you of my tight shiny forehead oh. and that was okay for a little moment and then I went yeah, I like to have expression. Yeah. And look, and, but it's each to their own. Yeah, whatever you want is yep. okay with you. Yeah. And that's fine. But now knowing that, okay, there are other slight procedures, whether it's invasive or not, um, that can be done. And it just comes back down to why are the reasons that I want to do it?
1: Yeah. And it is purely just for me. I feel really that it's really important that we feel okay about. The age that we are, I think the that yeah. that the, the excessive use of cosmetic procedures in a way possibly sets us up for even more heartache because uh, you put a 50-year-old woman who hasn't had any work done next to one that's been doing it for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years and they're mm. going to look mm. vastly different. It's it's That's it's, that's fact. Yeah. Um, so going on then, what you were saying
0: about, you know, comparing, and I, I really dislike that word comparing, but we do it so yes. much. We do it so much. You know, comparing one 50-year-old woman to another 50-year-old woman, it all depends on so many, so many things, things that have brought them to that yep. point in their lives. So let's just, I guess that comes back to what we keep talking about is like stripping that all away. And looking at the programming that we need to deprogram ourselves about, and that is pro aging, yes. not anti aging. What does it look like to you? What is accessible to you? Let's start educating ourselves, knowing having those conversations about how so many things are yeah are contributors to how we are looking, and and why what, it, why, it matters. why it matters. Yes, why it matters.
1: Yes, I think most importantly, yeah. Why does it matter? And know that
0: mm. what whatever solution you come to about yourself, whatever makes you feel good about yourself, Yes, the, the bottom line, lots to chat about. Absolutely. Good thing we've got an expert on.
1: Oh, <laughs> cannot wait to talk to her, Dr. Catherine Armour. Basically getting her views on what her clients are seeking, um, what's available, uh, but certainly from a science standpoint, point of view um, what happens to our skin as we age because I don't know about you but it seems to have happened overnight and I don't know whether or not that's just a new prescription in my glasses as well Uh, but um, (laughs) looking at myself in the mirror these days it, it really seemed to happen overnight that I felt I looked older. That um, that the lines were more prominent. That the the loss of elasticity, the jowls. Um, oh, darn You yeah. know, I got two words for you. Mm-hmm. Two words: mm-hmm. downward lights. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Change that lighting in the
0: bathroom. Indeed. <laughs> let's have a let's get a wonderful guest on. And have listened to what she said. Well, Kate, you know, we've been talking about our own concerns, if that's a little way to put it, about our own skin. So we need to bring in the big guns. We need the experts and, of course, our person du jour is Dr. Catherine Armat. Let me tell you a little bit about our fabulous guest today. Dr. Catherine is a Melbourne-based medical and cosmetic dermatologist and is widely published in dermatology literature and works in private practice at the renowned Dermatology Institute of Victoria and also at the Alfred Hospital and the Skin Health Institute. I need to take a, a big, deep breath because, whoa. You are well armed. Hello, Dr. Catherine. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Dr. Catherine. Yes, welcome. Hi, thank welcome. you for having me today. Well, we have got so much to talk about. I mean, where, you know, what do you what are you seeing? And what are the most common skin concerns that patients over 40 are seeking assistance for? So it's
2: a mixture of sun damage uh, and the sort of changes we see as a result of perimenopause and menopause. So the most common things that women themselves bring up would be brown spots and pigmentation, unwanted redness, textural change, you know, just feeling a bit dry and rough. Then, uh, of course, fine lines, wrinkles, and then early sagging and hollowing around the eyes um, and perhaps early drooping of the lower face. They're the big ones.
1: So, Dr Catherine, how much impact does menopause have on our skin? Because... well, it certainly affects just about everything else uh, in our bodies and our minds and focusing and all of that sort of stuff uh, at, at this stage of our lives. And uh, Kerry and I talk about it and have been talking about it for a while yes, now. Yes, we do. Um, obviously, there's uh, environmental factors, uh, genetics, etc. but does menopause impact the ageing process when it comes to our skin? Look,
2: absolutely. In, in Women Our Age group, I'm... I'm pushing 50 as well. So I I feel you on all these these things we're noticing. Uh, It's really a, a synergism between extrinsic aging, which is, you know, sun, pollution, smoking, lack of sleep, intrinsic aging, which is just what we see with the passage of time. And then the changes associated with menopause. And, you know, as you've mentioned, and I think Uh, patients tell me every day that I'm at work you know oh my goodness you know I've gone through the menopause and changes have been precipitous you know suddenly you might have been aware of a little bit of dryness a little bit of sagging and then as menopause hits it, it does seem quite precipitous and unfortunately if we're not doing anything to combat that, yes, there are there are good sort of physiological reasons for why that happens.
0: Uh, Dr. Catherine, Kate and I talk about this so often, the menopause, <laughs> the oh, pause. Menopause, the pause. Me- the oh pause, pause goodness. in life. Yeah. I'm thankful I'm out the other side and I, came, I was relatively unscathed as such with regards to the symptoms. But what, what I did notice, and Kate and I were saying this just recently, is how quickly those changes came into place Uh, for myself anyhow, how my... My skin, the the textural change, the sagginess change, like that was. It felt like it was almost overnight.
1: Absolutely, yes. Oh my God, Kerry, overnight waking up, and looking in the mirror and wondering who is that looking back at you. It it, it absolutely seemed to be overnight for me, particularly as my eyesight declined, getting new glasses, and um, you know, now they show up. Just about everything. I mean, my eyesight's fantastic, but it mm. uh, it means that I can see all of it when I look at myself <laughs> in the mirror. Well, Dr. Catherine,
0: are you finding that you know we, oh, oh, as women, are we talking more about menopause? Are you talking? Are you finding that women are now taking an active interest in learning about that? Not even uh, getting to that stage, but maybe you're seeing those younger clients, and you're going, you know what, this is something you. I necessarily look forward to. It's going to happen. It's a fact of life. Are we talking about it more? Or in your profession, are you talking about it more? Yes. Look,
2: I'm I'm talking about perimenopause and menopause whenever I get the chance, uh, because I think it's so important to empower women with the knowledge that we can do something. First of all, about the general, I mean, I'm doing the perimenopause thing myself at the moment. So as probably the same with you two, it's dear to our heart because we are going through the changes, but also it is confronting. It's, there's, a, there's a lot of change and I'm seeing a lot of my female patients sort of um, suffering in silence, as it were. So I'm, I'm a real advocate for normalising it all talking about the symptoms and the the changes that we might see and particularly in our in our, our bodies but also in our skin and you know letting women know that um, it's normal but if you want to there's things you can do you can do to to, to minimize that
1: no i agree i don't i don't think menopause is talked about enough um it is confronting um for women yeah. and the people that that experience it and i think also you know there's there's such people have such different individual experiences like you said carrie you know you didn't have it you really got through it fairly unscathed well i'm 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 on the roller coaster that's for sure uh, so, Dr. Catherine, what are the lifestyle factors that can accelerate the skin ageing process?
2: Yes, absolutely. So in, a, in addition to
1: the, the biggest
2: criminal in Australia being the UV radiation from the sun, smoking is a big one. And look, obviously in Australia, where fewer and fewer people are, are smoking, but um, that's certainly a huge culprit in terms of ageing. Alcohol, I love my evening glass of wine or gt so i 'm not for a second uh, advocating that you know we don 't enjoy a relaxing glass of wine when we want to, but we do know that alcohol expedites skin aging, it causes inflammation which then turns on nasty little enzymes in our skin that much like smoking actually that chew up our our collagen. It also contributes to glycation of skin proteins, and that means that instead of being nice and functional and plump, the skin proteins like collagen and elastin and glycosaminoglycans, other plumping skin proteins, they clump, and so they can't do their job as well as possible. So that contributes to sallowness and, and loss of volume and elasticity. For all of us busy working ladies who we are just talking about hectic schedules and rushing. Stress and poor sleep, or not enough sleep, actually, you know, I know they sound a bit airy-fairy, but they are actually really important for general ageing, but also skin ageing, and there's a number of ways in which they both contribute, but it's particularly through increased cortisol, like when we don't sleep well enough, our cortisol is higher than it should be in the morning. And, you know, cortisol is a stress hormone. So when we're constantly burning the candle, constantly rushing, our cortisol is high. And again, too much cortisol burns up our, our skin's precious collagen. So... They are lifestyle factors. And then um, I guess the other thing's pollution. I mean, is that a lifestyle factor? It kind of is. We know that, you know, if we live in a big city versus out um, somewhere beautiful rural or coastal where the pollution doesn't hang around, that again contributes to skin aging in a similar way to cigarette smoke poor diet you know that's a, a very broad kind of idea but we know if we don't get enough of the right vitamins and minerals in our diet that our skin can't get enough of its innate antioxidants so it's all those general things i think all things in moderation enjoy a glass of wine have some have some takeaways when you want to but yeah all things in moderation a,
0: a, a interesting say that a trainer said to me fairly recently that you can't out exercise a poor diet It's the same thing applicable to can you, with products and procedures and so forth, can that completely combat all those things that you mentioned?
2: If you don't sun protect and if you smoke doesn't matter what you do. Um, I, I personally think you're tipping your money down the loo. Mm. Uh, where, <laughs> yeah. A bit gauche. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I often say to women, I've got a lot of patients who just worship the sun. They love it. And then they want to spend thousands of dollars on amazing skincare and great procedures. And I, I do spend a lot of time just hammering into them, There is absolutely no point doing all of this stuff if you're not going to sun protect. I mean, that's obviously the biggest one in Australia. Mm. Uh, You know, that's Mm. still it's I mean, thankfully, sunscreen has become a lot more sexy, uh, particularly due to some amazing Australian brands. But like Ultraviolet, they've, you know, made wearing sunscreen sexy again, which is as a dermatologist very exciting to me Um, (laughs) but you know you know hitherto there is still quite a you know I see a lot of patients who just oh you know I don't like sunscreen I don't want to wear it it doesn't feel good on my skin so I actually spend a lot of time just showing them different sunscreens giving them long lists um, and samples whenever I can of sunscreens to use because I said look this is the absolute main pillar of you know protection against sun damage and skin aging and if you're not doing that so yeah no you can't procedure or um or skincare against you know releasing Mm.
1: yeah I love sunscreen I love the smell of it (laughs) I love the feel of it me too um particularly since my skin's dried out a little bit as I've gotten older I really love a thick Thick cream. Um, I actually used sunscreen during those lockdown periods. Even when I was not leaving the four walls of my house, um, <laughs> I used it to sort of help me get out of my lockdown funk because that um, that smell just reminds me of summer and holiday and, and I needed something certainly to to lift my mood. That's yeah, great. I love that. I, I have heard and there's always been a lot of talk about people not getting enough vitamin D are we undermining the opportunity for exposure to the rays for our vitamin D by sunscreening all the time? If there is such a thing, really, here in Australia as safe sun time, where is that sitting now? You know, it used to be don't go in the sun between 12 and 2. or Probably before 9.30 or 10am is fine to be
2: out and about, From probably before 9.30, honestly, in summer, even 9 I mean, you can you can burn or certainly get sun damage, I think, fairly soon after 9am now in, in Australia in um in summer. I've been burnt. I mean, when we first, I'm a Kiwi, and obviously the sun's really vicious over there as well. But I remember when I first moved to Melbourne from Sydney and I went for a run at six o'clock and didn't put sunscreen on, stupidly, and I got burnt at six o'clock mm. in, in the evening. So I think it's sunscreen is is not going to prevent us from making enough vitamin D. The exception would be people uh, with you know gorgeous, very, very dark skin types who perhaps you know wear head coverings or have very little of their skin exposed. So obviously if they're then putting sunscreen on the back of their hands and their their face then they're going to struggle to make enough vitamin D. but we actually only have to have our face and our sort of hands exposed for 20 minutes, three times a week in summer to make enough vitamin D. So I agree that vitamin D is really important, but I, I think um, a lot of people use it as an excuse to not wear sunscreen.
0: Well, it's great. You know, there's so much more education coming out these days. As you said, like making sunscreen sexy, which is fantastic, As necessary, what uh what are you thinking then with... You know what? With other approaches to ourselves and our skincare, are we seeing it, or should it change as we age?
2: Look, as we get into, I guess, our forties and and above, I think we have to we have to think about protection and repair, like very closely. I think in your your twenties and your thirties. Yes, you need to be sun protecting. Yes, it's useful to use some, some actives such as niacinamide to prevent pigmentation, maybe support your you know your, your structural collagen. But when you get to 40 and above, I think you've got to be doing the, the protect everyday ingredients, which would be your SPF, your antioxidants that um, obviously help with uh, soothing inflammation, looking after your skin barrier, And, of course, protecting your skin's collagen. You need to start thinking about ingredients like DNA repair enzymes to obviously looking after our DNA so we don't get cancerous and precancerous lesions as well as general ageing. And then by 40, 50, 60, you really want to be using those powerful evidence-based ingredients that we know stimulate new collagen production. Even after 30, our our fibroblasts start getting really lazy. You know, those important factories in the dermis that make our collagen, elastin and other skin plumping fibres, they get sluggish, they get lazy. So we want to, I think, um, you know, prevent, it's a bit of an older dodge, but prevention's always better than cure. So if we can Make our fibroblasts work hard for us with with AHAs, retinoids, bakuchiol. We can get them working so that we are continuing to make as much of our own collagen as possible, because we know that after menopause, our um, you know the decrease in, in estrogen in particular makes our fibroblasts get even more sluggish. And uh, I think the the figure, the very frightening figure, is that if we don't do anything. Uh, about it our skin's um, collagen decreases by about fifteen percent in the first actually it's not as 30 percent in the first two years after menopause and then on average two percent every year for the 15 years thereafter so that's and that's not a fader complete we can we can fix that um, but you know those those early aid that's why we want our collagen to be as robust as possible before we start menopause. Uh, and then make sure we're continuing to do those collagen-boosting skincare measures and procedures if necessary. So
1: we've talked about overall health, uh, lifestyle choices, skincare, etc. What about taking collagen in the form of powders and et cetera, you know, to add to smoothies and our acai bowls? You know, do these things make any difference? Or in your opinion, does it just make the smoothie super expensive? <laughs> The, la- the latter. <laughs> uh,
2: diff- look, uh, yes, dietary, I think antioxidants, yes, are really important. So I think there's definitely, look, the evidence is uh, not super strong, but it's evolving in terms of good nutrition and, you know, making sure we eat a diet of green leafy veggies and berries and things rich in antioxidants. Uh, col- I mean, I think collagen powders and supplements are obviously the very de rigueur topic at the moment. And it's very easy to be duped about this because there are actually quite a few studies uh, in the literature at the moment that suggest that you can improve your skin's collagen levels and plumpness by taking collagen supplements. They're very small and poorly controlled studies, meaning that their statistical analysis is um, not very impressive. They tend to be industry sponsored.
0: So with all of the products that are available out there, and it could be a bit of a minefield, but all of that aside, you know, if skincare isn't enough to resolve a particular skin concern, what kinds of procedures are available? Well, we are so lucky. Do you know what? I reckon we're quite
2: lucky to be in our 40s and 50s and 60s at this time in, in history because there are just a plethora of options, no matter what your sun damage or skin aging concern is. So I guess the the top of the pops uh, that most people will be aware of will be like lasers and intense pulse light to deal with largely sun damage related issues. So redness, brown spots, unwanted pigmentation and textural change. Um, And those are probably some of the commonest procedures we do in our clinic. Then there's a a whole range of modalities to stimulate new collagen. So that's gonna be really helpful for combating wrinkles, a little bit of skin tightening, dealing with loss of elasticity. So I'm talking about things like fractionated radio frequency, which is current, and that's machines like Venus, Viva, Infini, Secret, that some people will have heard of. Um, there's microfocused focused ultrasound, which not only stimulates new collagen production, but also leads to a bit of skin tightening, which um, is always really nice. Um, and then there are other uh, what we call fractionated th- you know, thermal energy or lasers that also lead to skin tightening and lifting. Other ways we can stimulate new collagen is a relatively new procedure in Australia um, called PDO monothreads. And they actually involve injecting a a little needle, which is loaded with a bit of suture or stitch material, actually. And you inject that into the area that we want to make some new collagen in. And when we pull the needle out, there's a little bit of suture or stitch material, similar to what we would use in skin surgery, which is left under the skin. And that, again, kicks our fibroblasts into making new collagen. So that's that's quite a neat new procedure. And the benefit of that is it's safe to use in some areas of the face where we generally feel that dermal fillers are not safe to be used. Suture lifting is, you know, has been around um, in dermatology for quite a a long period of time. But suture lifting is having a bit of resurgence as a non-surgical way to lift sagging skin. It's not permanent. Botulinum toxin and dermal fillers, as uh, you know, well-established treatments that I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with, but. Botulinum toxin being a great way to deal with dynamic wrinkles or wrinkles due to, to muscle action. And then dermal fillers being uh, a lovely way to, to plump up some areas of the face that have, as a, and also is a very quick way um, to replace lost volume or lost collagen. Because one of the things about all those neat devices we have to stimulate new collagen production, they do require a bit of patience while it takes about three months after each procedure for our body to make as much new collagen as it can. Whereas if people want to, I don't want to see it now kind of result, that's where dermal fillers are really useful.
1: Mm. Mm. And long-term usage of those things. Um, what's the research saying on that now? I mean, I know, I, I believe that um, that the Botox has been used medically for a long time prior to people uh, realising that it could be used in in cosmetic procedures. About how long has it been being used for now for, for, for facial stuff?
2: Not 25, 30 years for, for facial, for cosmetic Reasons, look. We just, you know, particularly with botulinum toxin, um, it's certainly safe to use it long term, but it does lead to some what we call atrophy or thinning of facial muscles. So you need to be a little bit judicious about, you know, there will be some, you know, some women will or, or men as well actually who will encourage to perhaps back away, or we might start using lower doses, or even stop injecting some areas if we think. If they've been using Botox for many many years and it looks like their muscles are getting a little bit thin or atrophied,
1: yes, because I have I have had a couple of girlfriends who have who have now been told, okay, that's enough for you now. And so, if you're at that point, what are your options then? Is that does that then go back to those more active treatments, light? therapy, the Fraxel, that sort of stuff? Absolutely. Is that still going to be helpful?
2: 100%. Yep, absolutely. Great. It's going to be helpful. You're going to stimulate new collagen. But look, there are some patients who want significant treatment of sagging areas of face or jowls and you know it's not often but sometimes you know I'll suggest that they might be better to see one of our plastic surgical colleagues for
1: to have a full surgery yeah
2: that to meet their to meet their kind of expectations or to get them where they want to be so
0: yeah yes
2: very uh, no one size fits all I guess yeah
0: are you finding the young ones are coming to yourself Dr Catherine or- looking for different things or are they coming to more preventative things with regards to skincare?
2: Look, the majority of them, yes, are are interested in skincare or perhaps, uh, you know, dealing with a little bit of sun damage. Um, Certainly, I I do speak to colleagues who, you know, horrifyingly might even be brought in by mothers when they're very, you know, this is rare, of course, but um, when they're, you know, very young and they're late teens or early 20s to start doing preventive stuff, um, it's it's mostly skincare, uh, to be honest, maybe a little bit of zhuzhing up before a, a wedding or something like that. But I think we don't actually really know what the outcome of doing all of these, particularly injectables, so young, what that's going to do to skin ageing. But our gut feeling is that it's, it's not going to be good. So, I mean, I think we're actually... I would rather be a woman in my 40s, 50s or 60s in 2021 than a a teenager or someone in their early 20s. I think they're under a huge amount of pressure to conform, to have big lips, to have huge cheeks, whereas I I feel like our view of ageing now is uh, is more positive to understand that it's really a privilege to age and that we we're more about aging well you know about health span about sure we all want to buff and polish a little bit and be the best version of ourselves but we're not looking to, you know, to all look like some, so, you know, Instagram po- prototype of what a fifty-year-old woman should look like. I, I, that's my my view. I think.
1: Um, yeah, I'm so glad, Dr. Catherine, that you say that because that that that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Society's perception of aging um, and how I feel like we've gone through a bit of a roller coaster, perhaps in the last ten years. Um, I work a mainly in fashion with a lot of models and you can definitely see when the girls come in and even some of the some of the boys what's the latest and greatest thing being influenced on the socials because it sits down in my chair, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, so it's an eyebrow thing, or, 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 or it's a lip thing, or, oh my goodness, um, what have you had done? And, <laughs> um, and I feel now um, that. Kerry and I talk all the time about uh, we've we've stricken anti-aging from our vocab. Pro-aging, ladies.
0: <laughs> Pro-aging. <laughs> absolutely. We, we don't
1: want anyone to be scared of getting old. And like you say, it absolutely is a privilege. But it is. I'm. Um, there's definitely a push for that holistic approach to your health and um and your mental health as well. The better your mental health, clearly, the better you feel. Generally, then the, the better you appear to everybody else as well when you're feeling confident in your own skin. Mm.
0: We will have to leave it there. Dr. Catherine, thank you so much for your wonderful opinions, expertly told, of course, because you are an expert in your field. Thank you for your
1: time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've had a lovely time. Thanks, Dr. Mm -hmm. Catherine. So, Kerry, we've talked all about skin with Dr. Catherine and um, tell us what's happening next. Oh,
0: I cannot wait for you to meet a darling friend of mine. We've known each other since we were baby hairdressers and he's an all-around legend, four-time Australian colourist of the year, He's been on the world stage as an educator all around the globe as a specialist in colour. Wow. I would love you to meet next week Matt Clements from Assembly Hair off on the beautiful Sunshine Coast. He is a dead set legend. We're going to have great chats.
1: Brilliant. Cannot wait. We'll
0: see you then, doll. (laughs) This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, both past present and emerging.